Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. All right, uh, welcome to the first week of Advent. The theme is hope. Um, Toby from uh, CPC gave us that little intro, and we're going to be doing that throughout the whole Advent season. Um, We are going to have missionaries on the field bringing us greetings and reading scriptures. So, uh, rumor is we're getting one from Africa. Um, so, I mean, just local and international min- missionaries. So, you're going to see some of the people that you support um, just welcoming us into the, the season and the various themes. Um, here is the, uh, the, the scripture that Toby opened with in case you came in late. Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. There will be no more gloom for those living in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Colossians 1.27, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's us, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father God, we, Lord, we, we open the doors of our heart today. And in Jesus' name, we say yes to the hope that Jesus Christ brings. Father, we acknowledge that that, that you are the light of the world. And Father, we do live in a dark place, God. We live in, in troubled times. Everyone can say that that ever walked the earth. And yet I thank you that we are the redeemed. We are the Easter people. We are your sons and daughters. For us, eternal life has begun. And so, God, today, we, we, we just invite the hope of Christ into our lives. And everywhere that we are looking, somewhere else right now, we just fix our eyes through the Word, through communion, through incredible worship today. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And we thank you, Lord God, for, for who you are, what you do, and that this, uh, this is our time um, because it is Christ's time. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this little word hope. Now, I've sort of talked about this before, um, but hope is a word that is all around us. Um, we hear it all the time. It's, it's, it's generally a very uh, positive, uh, but it's kind of a mild word for us. You know, earthly hope is, is typically us wishing and wanting something really good to come our way. Um, it's Christmas time. You know, there are a lot of us out there that are hoping for a really good gift this year. Um, we just went through a political season, and we'll go through many more of those in our lives. We, we hope for the right politicians to occupy offices all over this great land. You know, hope is also what I do every day when I just, man, I just hope for a good day. It's that sort of thing. That's, that is earthly hope. And sometimes these things that we hope for, um, they are based in reality. You know, they're, they're kind of conditioned on, you know, things that are likely to happen, the indicators are right, and hoping in them is, you know, there's a pretty good chance we'll see it come to pass. There are other times in our lives, though, when the things that we hope for, they're just pipe dreams, you know? They're, 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 they're fantasies. There's no way they're ever going to happen. Like when my daughter Ellie, she's not here so I can tell the story on her now since she moved to Pennsylvania, but when my daughter Ellie was three years old, and she came to Jane and I one day, and she said, you know, Mommy, Daddy, when I grow up, I, I really hope to be a farm pig, a pig on a farm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we got to re- 
kind of question our, our parenting there. But, you know, it's not going to happen, Ellie. Never. You know, it's a pipe dream. But, but that is kind of the nature, you know, both sides of, of earthly hope. I want you to know this. When you hear hope spoken of biblically, it is an entirely different concept. You know why? Because there's no maybe to it. There is no maybe when it comes to, to, to biblical hope. Biblical hope is founded on the Word of God. It's founded on the promises of God, our God who cannot lie, our God who is all-powerful. Anything He says He can do and He will do. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? And so, so the idea with biblical hope is that, okay, so here is this God who cannot lie. He has declared this. He has declared that. So all I need to do is take my hope, my trust, and my belief and just put it on Him and wait in joyful expectation. And there's biblical hope. hope. Uh, there it is. You got it, right? Well, I think we all know the problem. The problem is one of the words I just used. It's the word wait. That's where this gets really tough for you and I as human beings. It's in the waiting. We don't do well with waiting. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at waiting a man who had incredible hope and had to really wait for it. He's one of the Bible greats. Mark preached a series on him. Does anybody want to guess who this is? See, John, or Mark, they did, they did remember. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about John the Baptist. This is a very focused, narrow look at, at this one aspect of his life, but, but we're going to talk about this man, and, and what we have to realize when it comes to John the Baptist is that here is one man, okay, above all others, whose life is connected to Advent. John's life intertwines, it intersects, it, it, it happens all around the advent, which is the great coming of Jesus Christ. And at the time of, of John's birth, the Jews had been doing this thing that I just mentioned, this horrible four-letter word called wait. They had been waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and yeah, I can keep going for the Messiah. It had been a long agonizing wait for these guys. And you say, well, okay, Steve, how long have, the, have they been waiting for the Messiah? Since Genesis 3, they've been waiting for their Savior to appear. Okay, we're talking the third chapter of the Bible. These people have been waiting for Christ. Since creation, they've been waiting. And if you want to put years to that, okay, well, well how long is that in years? Well, it depends on what you believe about science and biblical history. If you are, are what is known as a young earth adopter, okay, you take the biblical timeline, you, you do the math, the earth right now for you is between six to 10,000 years old. Now, if you're an old earth theorist, well, you, you could believe that the, the earth is up, uh, up kind of up to about 4.5 billion years old. Now, that is a sermon for a different time, okay? We're not going to talk about the age of the earth today. It's probably a good one. I probably need to do this. But the bottom line is, either way, whether it's thousands of years or billions of years, these people have been waiting for, for, for what feels like to them forever, waiting on God to deliver on this promise for a Messiah. And so many of them, they are reflected. We see them in the reflection of Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. And we talk about gloom, distress, darkness. Many people at the time of John's birth, they have pretty much given up on the idea that God is ever going to do this thing. That's what waiting does. But then suddenly everything changes. 
just like that. But it takes people about 30 years to realize that there was this moment when it all changed. And what happens is that there is this devout Jewish couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah, and one day, just out of the blue, they're visited by an angel. Okay, imagine that. You know, you're making dinner, you're cutting your grass, and just an angel is right there before you. And the angel announces to Zechariah and Elizabeth that they are going to have a child. Now, we are already in miracle territory, okay? So we're already in miracle land. But it's even more of a miracle because, number one, Elizabeth is barren, okay? So this, okay, we're a little further out on the miracle branch. But number three, these two are no spring chickens. It's a polite way of saying they are way beyond the age of, of, of bearing children. And by the way, if you were offended by my spring chicken uh, comment, I'm going to be 50 in about 12 days. So look, I'm not one either, okay? So this is, this is me talking to all of us here. But, but the angel comes and makes this announcement. You are going to have a son, and your son will be great in God's sight. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's born. He will bring back many people to their God. Your son will go on before the Christ in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents back to their children and to turn the hearts of the disobedience back to the wisdom of the righteous. Your son will make a people ready for the Messiah, for the Savior, for the Lord. Wow, that, 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 that's heavy. So John is going to come, and he will be the last Old Testament prophet. He, he will be the forerunner of the, of the Messiah. I mean, he's going to be Jesus' prophet, his messenger. And then goes, God goes on to prove this to Elizabeth before John is even born. We read about it in Luke 139. And, and here we have in this scene a Mar- Mary, not a Mary, the Mary, let's be very clear about that, the Mary who is pregnant with Jesus goes to visit Elizabeth. And her unborn son, John, does what in Elizabeth's womb? Yeah, yeah, not a little kick, not a little tap, not a little drumbeat even. This child leaps in his mother's womb. Okay, so, so little John, who is already filled with the Holy Spirit in the presence of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is unborn, in the, he just he erupts with praise and worship, and he, he just, he's jumping around like a jackrabbit or a, you know, a kangaroo. It's beautiful. Even prenatal John, fetus John, knows who Jesus is. He gets that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Savior of mankind. And then the story goes on, and I think this is kind of wild. Throughout John's entire childhood and young adult life, nothing ever dissuades him that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now think about that, okay? So Jesus and John, through all these years when they were children and they played together, you know, th- through, through awkward, you know, family get-togethers. I mean, come on, folks, they can be awkward sometimes, you know. But all these opportunities for, for Jesus to kind of, you know, go the other way and prove that, whoa, you, you can't be him. Through the awkward teenage years where you don't know who you are half the time and anybody else is, John is never dissuaded. He is more and more convinced day after day that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so when it is time for John's ministry and for him to begin to go out and proclaim the Christ, folks, he is a house on fire proclaiming the message, saying to people, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road to your hearts for the Savior. 
Repent of your sin. Turn to God. The kingdom of God is near. And then finally, to erase any doubt that John knows who Jesus is, Jesus comes on the scene. And I would have loved to have seen that moment. You know, Jesus' first moment coming out. Here comes Jesus. What does John do? There he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the point through all this early childhood, young adult life of John is that John gets who Jesus is. John sees Jesus in here as the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, the light of the world, the only Savior. And so the point of my message is, folks, get it together, be like John, mic drop, we're out, right? Well, no, not if you know how the story goes on, if you know what comes next, because as Jesus steps on to center stage, John steps off of center stage. That was, that was his whole point. Prepare the way for the Christ. Get out of the way. I'll become smaller. Let him become bigger. Well, John does that, and he falls on really hard times. In fact, if you're looking for a good working definition of hard times, John's next chapter is it, okay? Because as John continues to faithfully be a prophet and a minister for the Lord, we discover something about John. He's got the temperament of a prophet. Prophets have a way of not beating around the bush, you know? No sweet talk, no, well, you know, let me give you a little hint and hopefully you'll figure it out. Prophets tell it like it is. And so John goes to King Herod who is wicked, okay? Just a dark, sinful, wicked man, oppressing many, just, oh. And, and uh, John rebukes him. He rebukes him for his sin. And Herod does not take kindly to the rebuke. Herod takes John and he throws him in prison. And, and there's a little bit of tension because depending on which gospel you're reading, you know, Herod's kind of, he's got a little bit of a pickle. You know, I want to kill this guy, but he's got a lot of followers. There's a little bit of, of just, you know, gray area here, but everybody who's ever read the story, even for the first time, knows what's coming. John is on death row, no question about it. So how do you think John is doing in this moment? I think in the beginning, John's doing really good. You know, John knows who Jesus is. John knows who he is. I, th I think he feels pretty good about his chances at first. You know, I'm the Savior's prophet. I'm the forerunner, you know? I mean, look at what I've been doing. I've, everything God asked me to do, I did. I even got out of the way for the Messiah. You know, I've, I've proselytized, I've, 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 I've baptized, I've identified. I, I'm not going to capsize. There's no way this doesn't happen to me. Jesus is all about rescue. He is the Savior. I'm his guy. But as time goes by, John sits there alone. There is no word from Jesus. There is no visit from Jesus. And the clock just keeps on ticking. And by all accounts, if you've ever read much of history, Herod's prison was a filthy place. And John's just sitting there in prison in agonizing helplessness. After a while, we can see from the context of Scripture, we know what comes next, that John's thoughts of, you know, being hopeful. Because again, if anybody shows us what it looks like to put all your hope in Jesus, it's John. We see that John begins to wither. John begins to cave. You know, John's... Thoughts of yes, yes, yes are replaced by I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure about all of this. After a while in John's life, it is a full-on assault of doubt. And I can just see the storyline going in his head. I, I mean, getting to that place where you just wonder. And, and I know it seems irrational to us who read the story from here, but to be John, to, to start to wonder and say, you know, what if this whole thing 
What if this, this whole thing is just a very well-intentioned fairy tale? You know, what if it's a lie? You know, maybe our two mothers, you know, these strong Jewish personalities just talked Jesus into this, talked me into that. I mean, you know, the Bible warns about false prophets. People have been deceived before. Have I been deceived about Jesus? And if I have been deceived, then maybe that's why I'm in prison right now. This is God's judgment on my life. I mean, he, he's wrestling and the reason we know why he's wrestling to this extent is because we get to Luke 7, 18 through 19, and John's disciples come and visit him, and they, they start to say, hey, let me tell you what Jesus is doing. You know, all the stuff you talked about. Well, he's doing it. His preaching is incredible, so they relate this to them, to, to John. And John looks back at him, and, and he sends two of them to Jesus, and he says, well, I'm sorry. That's great, but I've got to, uh, to have a question answered. You go and you ask Jesus, are you the one, the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we all be looking for somebody else, Jesus? The forerunner, the prophet, John the Baptist is doubting at a level that's just incredible. And I love Jesus' response to John. I love it. You know, Jesus starts off and he says, okay, whoever's sick. Who's ever sick, who's ever infirm, who's ever tormented, demonized among you, come to me. Jesus gathers up everyone, and he heals them all. He just sets them all free. And then um, Jesus turns to the two disciples, and he says, now you go back, and you tell John what you just saw. You tell him what you just heard, and here's a personal message for John. John, God blesses those who do not fall away on account of me. And that, that, that is just a personal heart message to John saying, hold on, brother. Hold on. Do not question in the darkness what you heard in the light. Blessing is coming your way. And so we read this, you know, and we're like, whew, crisis averted. Oh, man, I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. You know, it's like we feel good when we read this. But still, even after these words, Jesus never shows up. And John is beheaded, and his disciples come, and they, they take him away. And what do we do with that on a Sunday where we're sitting here talking about hope? Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. What, what do we do with that? Can anybody identify with this? And let's be honest, can you? Yes, I can. You remember back in 1991, you know, Jane and I are going to have twins. I've told you this before. We're going to have twins. Everybody's praying for Jane. Everybody's praying for the kids. Even got some, you know, prophetic words and stuff. It's just wonderful. And then they die. And Jane's in ICU. Life and death situation. 50% chance she makes it, 50% she doesn't, say the doctors. What do you do with that? Hope in the midst of all that. What, I, I identify with that when I see people that we love as a body and we're praying for, and they're suffering. And you, you see the names and faces right now when I say, they're really suffering. And they continue to suffer. We, we see it every time that, that we observe dire circumstances. We're all praying, and they just go from bad to worse, and they end that way. And so a big question for us is we light a candle and we sing about hope and we talk about hope and Jesus being the hope of the world is, you know, how can, how can we, like John, be a people of hope? Really? Let's be honest about it. Well, we can because John's story did not end in defeat. It didn't. 
I mean, look at Jesus. Okay, what does Jesus go on to do? Everything that John prophesied. Jesus goes on, and he does everything, everything that the Bible proclaimed that he would. You know, there are like 700 prophecies. That's the short list that Jesus fulfilled, all of it. So we get that perspective, and we get it really quick. And then, but folks, that there is the greatest triumph and the greatest victory of all on the part of Jesus Christ, and we'll celebrate it in a minute. And it is on the cross of Jesus Christ. Death was forever swallowed up, forever. There is no death for you and I. If anything, it's a door, it's a moment, it's a blink, but death has been swallowed up by life. For everyone who believes in him, you are already eternal beings. Do you get that? Oh, I wish I could be immortal. I am immortal. Every one of us is that have invited Jesus Christ into our lives. Our story is completely different. And then when you think about John, so, okay, what do we do with John here with all of his doubts? Well, we, we just realize, look, John's doubts and his questions, all they are in perspective is they're just a blip. They're just a smudge. They're just a moment. His suffering results in glory. It's swallowed up by eternal life. I thought it was incredible today that Jim Gatlin got up and he gave a word out of Romans 8. This is the second week in a row he's done this. He's felt led by the Lord to share out of Romans 8. That is the point of Romans 8, that entire chapter. It's that, look, suffering is a part of this earthly life. I know there are theologies out there in a lot of churches that, you know, hey, wait, man, if, if you're in Christ, it's just glory to glory to glory to glory. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is suffering in this life, even for Christians. Suffering is a part. Now, it's not all of life. And so for, some of, for, for us in the room, you know, some of us will suffer a little bit in this life. Some of us will suffer a great deal in this life. But for you and I, children of God, Suffering will always result in glory, blessing, and salvation life. You know, even for me, here I am, 1991, it's 2017. I don't even want to do the math. I think it's 26 years. That's absolutely true of us in our situation with our children that died. God has swallowed up their deaths. First of all, man, what are they doing right now? Oh, I mean, they're still having that party, right? But for us, God has redeemed that moment. This is who he is. This is what he does. This is what happens to the suffering of those who believe. And so what we do in the meantime, when we suffer, when hope seems to wane, is folks, we do Hebrews 11.35. We place our hope on a better life and an absolutely sure resurrection. And listen, sometimes when it, come, you know, when it comes to, oh, Lord, the suffering and, and this transfer of suffering for hope, you know, sometimes the way we do that, it's on our knees. Sometimes it's through our tears. Sometimes it's just holding the hand of someone who is standing with us. But we fix our eyes on the cross. That's one of the beauties of communion that it lets us fix our eyes back on the cross and, and a Savior who came. He showed up. He brought hope to us, and that hope is resurrection life. And y'all, as we do that, here's what we're going to find. You're going to find that sometimes, you know, when man, it feels black, and you're just going, okay, Lord, I'm putting my hope on you, Jesus. I'm doing it. You're going to find sometimes that Jesus shows up so quick, the ink isn't even dry on your prayer, and he's already showed up and changed things. 
Jesus shows up. You're going to find that sometimes, and things change quickly. Sometimes things change miraculously. Other times, we may end up in a season of suffering, and we just hold on. We just pray, and there's grief, and there's struggle. But I tell you what, either way, this much is true. When we place our hope, our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ, we are never disappointed in the end. We're, he can't. He, he cannot disappoint us. And even when we do doubt here and there, because we do. Has anyone ever had a little moment of doubt or a little season of doubt? Good, thank you. It's not just me. But folks, even when we do doubt, it's not the end for us. You know, Jesus makes a statement about John when, when the questions come up. Jesus turns to the crowd. And remember, this is John's moment of doubt, right? John is in prison in the middle of doubt. Jesus is in the middle of answering the disciples. And do you remember what Jesus says about John? Of all those born among women, there's nobody greater than John. Here he is in the middle of his doubt, and Jesus calls him the Muhammad Ali spiritually. Why does he do that? Well, because John did one thing so beautifully right. And Mark pointed this out in his sermon, so I, you're not going to think I'm brilliant. Stole it from Mark. What John did in his moment of doubt is he took that doubt somewhere. He took it to Jesus. And that's what we do in all of those moments. He brought them to Jesus. And so this morning as we go to communion, I want to remind you, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And I invite you, wherever you are, you might, you know, you might be doing great today. Praise the Lord if that's you. You might be in a season of grief, distress, really facing some doubt. At communion, bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus because he's here. And the thing about Jesus is this. Jesus is either an elaborate fairy tale that a whole lot of us are just holding on to, you know, like a crutch, or he really is the Savior of the world. And we know the answer to that question. He is the Son of God. He changes everything. And so like the song said, here and now, just bring it to him in communion. Bring it to him. And be blessed. That's his promise. Let me pray for us. Then, Neil, you can come on up. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. You're amazing. And I thank you that, um, oh, that, that you're everything the Word of God says you are. And today we celebrate your hope. Father, as we look to one side and see a candle, and we look to the other side and we see a cross, we rejoice that you are the resurrected one, and you bring us resurrection life here and today. And so, God, we would just come and say, Lord, anywhere where there's, there's darkness, there's doubt, there's fear, Holy Spirit, just as we surrender to Shiloh, Shiloh urges us to do, as we surrender, Holy Spirit, just come and just sweep it off our hands, out of our hearts. Fill us to overflowing with hope, hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. I can't thank you enough for coming, and I can't thank you enough for staying, for being with us, dwelling within us, and loving us forward in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.